Okay, here we go, part two of Smyrna. I did a shorter version, and now I'm doing the conclusion now. We're looking at Smyrna, part two, positive persecution, Revelation 2, 10 to 11. Been looking at Daniel and Revelation, and <clears throat> been stressing, <laughs> mark my words, persecution is coming. God's prophetic word says to be prepared for it all around the world and in the USA today. We have to be ready. Let me pray. Father, just pray that this would help prepare us to be ready for what we're going to be facing. The entire world, and especially for those listening here in the United States today, that we would be prepared. And I pray that if anybody has never put their faith in Jesus, today would be that day. That's how they would be prepared for what is coming on this earth as we get closer to the second coming of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at seven churches, and they're historical churches, but also they represent, uh, they're actual churches, but represent historical phases, and also have application for each church and each individual life. So, seven churches, We each one of them, there's the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. We already did the good for Smyrna, and now we're ready for the bad. And so, we're in Revelation 2, verse 10, Smyrna, and we get to the part where... He talks about the bad. Jesus is writing about the bad. And he says here, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And that you will, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So what is the bad? Nothing. There's not one bad thing, not one word. This is one of the few churches, uh, amazing, right? That One of the few churches in the history that God doesn't have something bad to say about, right? There's no negatives that Jesus has for this persecuted church. Now, I love my church, New Hope Community Church, uh, but there's a few things I don't like about it. Notice I didn't say a few people. Uh, I didn't say people, didn't say people, but a few things I don't like. <laughs> but even Jesus had nothing to say bad about Smyrna. I'm sure it wasn't perfect, but it was being perfected through its suffering. It reminds me of when we first started the church and those who were here 20 years ago remember all the crazy things we went through and, and uh, the, the persecutions and the insults and the attacks that we were constantly going through. And I remember the church was just such a sweet fellowship for that first few, few years. Still a great church, but at the beginning it just was just amazing. It was just a complete blessing to be part of that ministry. Do you remember that? Those who were part of that? And I think it was because of the persecution, the constant outward pressure that was producing something special spiritually. And I, this is what this kind of church is like. And it's ironic that these Faith teachers on TV say we should all be healthy, wealthy, and blessed. And if you're not, it's because you have a faith problem or a sin problem. But Jesus says just the opposite. Sorry, false teachers. Jesus says just the opposite. He said the persecuted and poor are the ones who are blessed because of their faith. And, and because, because that's what produces that great faith is their, their poor in spirit and the persecution. That's what makes a great church. Okay. So looking at the historical phase chart, uh, Chicky, I'm sure was putting up here right now, 100 
to 312. It's the second historical phase. 100 to 312. That is the phase that we're talking about in church history that represents this phase here with Smyrna, the second church. Each of the churches represent a different phase prophetically throughout history. And there was charges. There was charges against the, 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 uh, the church in Smyrna and the charges against the churches being persecuted in this phase of a couple hundred years. There was lots of different charges. Attack points used by Satan. Several different strategies that were used by Satan. Now, every different age, there's persecution and Satan comes up with a new battle attack, attack plan strategy, okay? But the same goal is, is to destroy the church. <clears throat> in this time, this 100 to 312 AD time, there were five specific charges. One was cannibalism. They accused the church of cannibalism. Why? Communion. <laughs> they misunderstood communion. They thought they were really eating somebody. You know? So they didn't understand it was symbolic. The bread and the wine were symbolic of Jesus. The, um, they were accused of practicing orgies. Orgies in the Christian churches. Why? Because of the agape Love feast. Once again, they heard the rumors. Must be an orgy, because that's what the Romans were doing, right? Uh, atheism. Why would they accuse them of atheism? Because they wouldn't worship all the gods, and then the emperor included. They wouldn't worship, worship all the gods. They only worshiped the one true God, but because of that, they were atheists. Because they, they ignored all the gods. You know, they, they, they neglected the gods. Uh, they were accused of being politically disloyal. Why? Because they wouldn't worship Caesar as God. They wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. And so they're accused of being politically disloyal. And finally, they're accused of being fire starters. Why? Because Nero started that whole thing, right? Accused him of burning Rome when he himself was the one who did it. They were considered terrorists in that society. And, and also because they taught that the world would be destroyed by fire which it's going to be uh, for Second Peter. Uh, you can look it up yourself. It's going to be destroyed. Re Revelation going to be destroyed by fire. But because they taught that, they were considered uh, arsonists of the time, the terrorists of that time. Now, the persecution was intense for 200 years. And during this 200 years of church history, 100 to 312 A.D., the church grew at an amazing rate. In fact, the church during this time reached the greatest percentage of the world population of all of history. The greatest percentage of people in the world were Christians at this time. The Christians were defeating the Roman Empire spiritually. And so Satan had to try a new tactic. We'll hit that one in the next church. But a couple of things. Um, I wrote a paper in seminary, Lifestyles of the Poor and Forgotten. And I wrote about how fast the church was growing and why it was growing. And I'm just going to read you a couple excerpts from the, 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 uh, in the study that I did on the original documents. Uh, Celsus, a vicious opponent of Christianity, talking about how why the church grew so quickly. His criticism states that in private houses also we see wool workers, cobblers, laundry workers, and the most illiterate, illiterate and yokels, whenever they get hold of children in private and some stupid women with them, they let out some astounding statements. And by saying this, they persuade them. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. We, we won't comment on that. Uh, what the Roman you know, group was like. Uh, verse... Uh, Page 10 of my writing here, it says this, Early Christians lived radically different lives. Converts were 
attracted in large numbers. Men and women lived holy lives. They were willing to suffer, die, witness whenever they had the chance and willing to give the shirts off their backs. They stood out in their culture. They ena- this enabled a small band of disciples to expand at a phenomenal rate. By A.D. 30, Christians were the majority in many... I'm sorry, A.D. 300. By A.D. 300, Christians were the majority in many provinces. Wow. Wow. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, writes, We have filled every place belonging to, he's writing to the Romans, uh, the Roman government. We can't, we, we fill, filled every place belonging to you. We can count your armies. Our numbers in a single province will be greater. The critic, uh, Calicius says, These vicious habits are spreading day by day, multiplying all over the world. <laughs> Amazing. The, the the church growth movement in the United States has has resulted in shrinking the church since 1970s. Shrinking the church. That's what it's done. It only resulted in moving people into different churches who were who were doing a better show. Uh, the Christianity is fading in the U.S. because it, church growth methods were not biblical church growth methods. They were worldly, and they they injured the church. They've shrunk the church, right? And if you, we really want to grow, if we really want a revival, we have to be like the New Testament church. If we really want to see a spiritual awakening, it will probably take what they experienced, persecution. Persecution and living under crisis. The Christians in the persecuted countries today have been praying for years for the church in the U.S. You know what they've been praying for? They've been praying that we would be persecuted. Why? Because they can see what a mess we are. They can see how worldly we are. They can see how worldly we are. They can see how we don't don't have biblical worldviews. They know that only persecution can preserve a church, really preserve it, and really grow it. And we're starting to see that set up now. We're starting to see the the birth pains and the the, the contractions. We're being set up for uh, uh, for persecution right now. We're seeing it all over the place. If you've been following my series, you know what I'm talking about. So he he, there's no bad, but he does give them a warning. It's the good, the bad, and then a warning. But this warning is different from what he gives usually. He says here in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. The warning. But this is warning is different from the other letters. The other letters that stop doing this or else you're going to get it. I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to punish you or discipline you. This one is not that. This is a whole different warning. This one is warning them about what is coming their way. Not because he's going to discipline them, but what's coming their way because of the persecution that's coming. He says you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer, but don't be afraid because I'm in control. First and the last. I'm the resurrected from the dead. You will be resurrected from the dead too. Jesus promises that they're going to win in the end. They're going to win. And he promises to give us grace no matter what we go through. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, listen to what Paul says when Paul was asking for, for help, deliverance from what he was going through. In uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Uh, 
Oh, I, I, I blurred two verses. I'm going to read this again. <laughs> but he said to me, I haven't memorized, but I blurred them together. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Glorying and, 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 and delighting in persecutions. Why? Because God's grace is there and His power is made perfect in weakness. Christ promises to give us grace. We don't have to be afraid of persecution. You can't prepare for persecution. We can't get ready for it. We, well, we can grow spiritually and grow in our faith and read the Bible and all that. But when, the, when it really hits the fan, the only thing that's going to carry us through <clears throat> is God's grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. You can't pump yourself up for it. You just wait. Whatever trial we face, God gives a grace for that trial. For my, for my grace is sufficient for you. But definitely, grow your spiritual muscles. Learn the Word. Live it. All those are very important. But in the end, it comes down to grace. It comes down to grace. Uh, the, it says the devil will put some of you in prison. The word devil literally means to slander, to accuse falsely. That's what his, the name means. And he will put some of you in prison to test you. God <clears throat> uses persecution to test, to refine the church. When this happened in Smyrna and, and all throughout church history, many have fallen away from the faith during persecution. What does that, what does that show? They weren't real. They weren't real. There's no better way to see who's real and who's fake than when, than when we are persecuted. The church in the USA is a mess. It's a mess. Persecution is going to clean it out. We're going to see who are the wheat in the weeds. We're going to see who are the sheep and the goats. We're going to see it. We're seeing it already. Already in the U.S. we're seeing this, this separation that God is using. It's not even real persecution yet. We're already seeing how many Christians just fall away because they don't want to you know, go against the world or be unpopular or they've been brainwashed into the world's thinkings. They've conformed to the pattern of this world crazy ways. It, it, God is already, even without real persecution, it's already happening. The wheat and the weeds are being separated here in the U.S. The Roman system for prison was not like in the USA. In the USA, we put people in prison to punish them and take them off the streets and, you know, real helpful, isn't it? But, uh, but we'll go there another day. But it was, but the Romans did it to pressure Christians to give in. That's why they did. They wanted to pressure the Christians to give in. They would put them in the in, in prison until there was a trial. Many times, would make keep waiting a long time. Remember the Apostle Paul, and and when they would uh, they would then be sentenced at the end of that time, where they would either be freed, which was rare, they would be flogged, very common, exiled or executed, also very very common, and. While they're in the prison, they would try to pressure them. Remember Paul with the different uh, King Agrippa and different people? They're pressured to try to, to, to compromise and to, to think like, like the Roman world, to think like Satan wanted them to think. They were trying to, to, sh to break their biblical mindset, their worldview, the biblical worldview. Just like so many Christians, 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Uh, that means that they've been brainwashed. If they are Christians, the other ones are, if they are Christians, they've been brainwashed. They think like the world. Probably means most of them aren't. But anyway, we'll go there another time. Uh, but many Christians in Rome were, were 
uh, persecuted, and then they were finally executed just because they seemed stubborn. The Romans couldn't understand why they wouldn't just flex a little bit. They just seemed so stubborn. In fact, uh, let's see, I'll read a, read a story about from Pliny. Pliny was writing... Um, Pliny was writing to the Emperor Trajan and Pliny was a Roman official and he was trying to figure out what's going on with these Christians all over the place. And <clears throat> uh, let's see, I'm just going to read here. He was appointed governor of Bithynia. Beth- Beth- uh, and while he was serving, he says he had an informer and he was checking out this Christianity thing. He's writing to the Emperor Trajan and he says, the sum of their guilt or error has amounted only to this, then on an appointed day they had been accustomed to meet before daybreak and to recite Sunday, right? And to recite a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves to an oath not for the commission of any crime but to abstain from theft, robbery, adultery, uh, breach of faith. Uh, sounds pretty dangerous group, doesn't it? Um, at the conclusion of this ceremony it was the custom to depart and meet again to take food but it was ordinary and harmless food (laughs) i thought it more necessary therefore to find out what truth there was in this by applying torture to two maidservants he tortured a couple young girls wow uh who were called deaconesses but i found nothing but a depraved and extravagant superstition (laughs) the matter seemed to unbelievable isn't it torturing these poor girls the matter seemed to me to justify my consulting you especially on account of the number of the those imperiled the contagion of the superstition has spread not only in the cities but in the villages and rural districts as well yet it seems capable of being checked and set right wrong listen to what else he says Meanwhile, this is the course that I've adopted in the case of those brought before me as Christians. I ask them if they are Christians. If they admit it, I repeat the question a second and a third time, threatening capital punishment. If they persist, I sentence them to death. For I do not doubt that whatever kind of crime it may be to which they have confessed, their uh, inflexible obstinacy should certainly be punished. They're being stubborn for not denouncing Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if they committed a crime, but just that they are so stubborn about this Jesus guy, they should be killed. That's what he's saying. It's crazy. There were others who displayed a light madness and whom I reserved to be sent to Rome since they were Roman citizens. Wow. So I know this sound familiar. That Just because they were considered stubborn, they were being executed and tortured uh, because they couldn't understand why they would just hold to Jesus so stubbornly, so faithfully, the Bible calls it. And, and then back to Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation 2, it says you'll face persecution for 10 days. <clears throat> 10 days. Probably referring to uh, the actual persecution in Smyrna. There was uh, some very serious uh, persecutions in Smyrna. In fact, I'm going to read, this is what this is probably referring to. Maybe it was a 10-day persecution. But uh, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, one of the church fathers, well-known church fathers, was martyred on Saturday, February 23rd, A.D. 155. 155 A.D. There were public games. The city was crowded in these public games. They were excited. They got all wound up against the Christians. They said, away with the atheists. Let Polycarp be searched for because he was the bishop. Uh, Polycarp, they went to find him. He could have escaped, but he didn't because he had just had a dream about his pillow catching on fire and he was burned. And he said to the people, even before they came looking for him, he said to his, his disciples, he said, I, I must be burnt alive. God warned him. 
He asked for himself the privilege of one last hour of prayer. The police captain pleaded with him, what harm is there to say? Because he, he, he respected Polycarp. He said, what harm is there to say Caesar is Lord and, and offer the sacrifice and be saved? But Carly, Polycarp was adamant that only Jesus Christ was Lord. He entered the arena. The proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making sacrifice to Caesar or death. Polycarp said, Eighty and six years have I served him, said Polycarp, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning, and Polycarp replied, You threaten me with fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, for you do not know the fire that awaits the wicked in the, in the judgment to come and in the everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do what you will. The crowds came flocking with bundles of wood. The Jews, though they were breaking the Sabbath, carrying, were, came and carrying the, bird, uh, the, the bundles in the, the head of the line, bringing the most wood for the fire. These were the, uh, the Jews who were against Jesus. Uh, they were going to bind him to the stake, but you know what Polycarp said? He said, leave me as I am. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames, unmoved, even without the security you will give by the nails. So they let, let him loose and he was burned at the stake, not even bound. Amazing. Amazing. This is what Polycarp went through. This is what, this is what Jesus is warning the people, the Christians in Smyrna about. Uh, he's re- probably referring to an actual persecution in Smyrna. But ten days is also a Hebrew idiom. A Hebrew idiom. And there's, the, the idea is that there's a limit to it. It won't last forever. It was meant to encourage them that God, Jesus, is in control. There's going to be a limit, the ten-day limit, the idiom. It's like saying, you're going to have, need cancer treatments, but ten chemos and you will be done. Just hanging on, just encouraging them that you're going to have to go through 10 chemos, but you'll be done. That's the picture, the spiritual picture here. It's also possible that it's symbolic of the 10 waves of persecution that the church faced. Historically, in this time, these couple hundred years, there were 10 waves of persecution. So this could also be prophetic of that time. These were horrible cycles of persecution where Christians were fed to the lions and the wild beasts. They were crucified. They were torn apart by wild dogs. They were tarred and then set on fire. They were burned at the stake. They were boiled alive. Unbelievable what the devil encouraged his 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 servants to do to the Christians, just like we're seeing happening all over the world today and starting here in the U.S., it's starting. But he says there's 10 days, there's limits. And each time there were converts. Amazing. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Every time there were converts and each time there was a, God would also reassure them that he was in control, that he would show that there were limits to what Satan and his minions could do. And I'll just give you a couple examples. Herod Agrippa, remember Herod Agrippa, in Acts 12, killed James. But what happened to him? He was eaten by worms. Horrible inside, eaten by worms. The message was very clear there in Acts 12. Don't mess with God. You may be given permission to persecute, but in the end, they're going to be in heaven and you're going to be burning in fire, eaten by worms. Uh, just that's a picture of hell. A picture of hell. Nero, he killed Peter and Paul. And yet, what ended up happening to Nero? He cut his own throat to be escape being whipped to death. He cut his own throat. Domitian called himself Lord God. He was incredibly cruel, Domitian. Uh, incredible 
persecutions. But what happened to him? He was stabbed on his throne, the toilet. He was sitting on his toilet and he was stabbed by a slave, killed by a slave while he was on the toilet, uh, his real throne. Trajan, who Pliny had written to, he and was very cruel to the Christians. He had a stroke. He lost use of his body and his mind. He died in anguish. Uh, unbelievable. Over and over again, you can see in history and the church fathers saw it happening and they encouraged the believers saying, look, God is in control. Look what he's doing to, to Satan's minions. Look what he's doing. Marcus Aurelius. Uh, Marcus Aurelius was terrible to the Christians. Once again, uh, he... Uh, he also wrote, um, he also wrote, um, what was it called? The Meditations. His Meditations. This is what he said in his personal reflections. We must show patient long suffering. Our existence on this earth is fleeting and transitory. All men and women share the divine spark, so they are brothers and sisters. Men exist for each other, then either improves them or puts up with them. Except for Christians, who he was brutally killing, brutally killing, uh, and then he and he died a then he died a a, a, a terrible death. A Valerian, page twenty two. Valerian also once again uh, was was a terrible persecutor of Christians. He ended up being captured in battle by by uh, the, the um, let's see who captured him. I just read this. By an army of Mesopotamia, they used him as a stirrup. The king of Mesopotamia used him as, made him kneel down and he would step up off of him onto his horse, use him as a stirrup to get on his horse. That's how he treated him. Fortunately, his son, who was left in power after the defeat, his son let the Christians go and lifted the persecution against them because he thought maybe God was trying to tell them something, uh, tell him something. Maximus the Mad. I'm just reading a couple different things. It's just crazy how the church fathers have traced what happened to each of the persecutors. Maximus the Mad, he went mad, the, the historian Eusebius tells us. Watch, pay attention to the USA today. There's lots of persecutions. There's lots of people who hate Christians, lots of leaders, uh, people in government that hate Christians. Keep an eye open and connect the dots. They're already showing how crazy they are. God, God will allow persecution to purify his church, but the ones who do the persecution, watch. Mark my words, watch what happens to them. Watch what happens to those who fight against Christ, who are anti-Christ, who, 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 who are going against the Bible left and right, who want to kill babies and murder babies, who, who push sexual immorality. Watch what happens in their lives. Pay attention. Pay attention. And this, this, when he talks, when God talks about these ten days of persecution and the limit, it's an encouragement that God is in control. And verse ten, I'm going to read it to you. Verse ten b and eleven. Look at what he also says here: Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The second death. There's an encouragement if you're faithful. Even to the point of death, he tells the people in Smyrna and he's telling us the same thing, you'll receive the crown of life. There was a stadium in Smyrna which was famous for the, the, the yearly games, the athletic games that were held there and the victors would get this wreath of victory, you know, which would wilt away and be gone in a short time. But, but Jesus is saying here that the Christians who are faithful will receive a crown, a crown of life that will never wilt, that will never that will last forever. It's eternal life in heaven with Jesus someday. That's where if we are killed for our faith in Jesus, we 
get a front row. In fact, Revelation 6, 9 to 11, we'll get to that pretty soon. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Front row, right in front of the altar, right where God is. Uh, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They're right front and center. They get God's, They have God's ear in heaven. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. That's when God will act. When the number is complete, God has a number of of martyrs that are going to die for His glory, for the witness of Jesus Christ. And when that number is completed, God's judgment is coming on this earth. But but if we are persecuted and if we die for Jesus, we will be in front of the altar in heaven having God's ear God will be speaking to us right there and not only that the crown of life but we won't be hurt by the second death it says you won't hurt at all by the second death in the Greek it's a double negative it says no way no how will you be hurt by the second death it's a double negative the first death might hurt a lot being burned at the stake but the second death not at all think of going to the dentist and you're going to have a tooth pulled or something done some kind of surgery and they give you a shot of Novocaine. That hurts. The Novocaine hurts. But after that, you don't feel a thing. And that's the picture. The, 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 the first death, persecution, martyrdom, painful, but then no more pain. The second death doesn't touch us. We, we, don't, we aren't touched by it. The second death, no way, no how will hurt us. It won't hurt us because it won't happen to us. We will not die the second time. The first death is physical when we're separated the soul from the body. Everyone has to go through that separating of the soul from the body. But the second death is way different. It's a spiritual death. It's separated, eternal separation from God. The eternal separation from God. And this is the death you do not want to face. Revelation 20. Just read a couple of verses here in Revelation. Revelation 20, verse 6, it says, talking about this very thing, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Verse 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Hades was the temporary hell. Uh, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the eternal hell. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If our name is not written in the book of life, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you give your life to him, your name is written in heaven in the book of life and that book reserves your place in heaven. If your name is not written in that book of life, you will be spending, uh, the moment you die, you will go to Hades, uh, temporary hell, and then someday you will be thrown into permanent eternal hell forever if your name is not written in that book of life. It's horrible, but we're going to talk about how you can avoid that in just a moment. Hang on. But also, verse uh, uh, Revelation 21, verse 8. Look who, who ends up in hell. <clears throat> not in the book of life, but look at, listen to what their life is like. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral. Sexually immoral. In the USA Tate, you want to do it? Go ahead and do it. You can live any way you want. You can sleep with whoever you want. You can marry whoever, whoever, whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Sure you can if you want to end up in hell. 
sexually immoral, very, very serious, sexual sin. You think you're, you're a Christian, but you're living in sexual sin. You better think again. It's very, very serious, sexual sin. But the cowardly, the unbelievers, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You will live in eternity if your name is not written in the book of life. If you've chosen to live this life instead of the life God has, has, has purposed for you, if you choose that, you will spend your entire eternity burning in hell. But Jesus doesn't want you to go there. That's why he died for us. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But those who are Christians who go through the first death don't have to be hurt by the second death. No way, no how. We don't have to be afraid of that. All those killed, the only the the the, the second judgment, the great white throne, the the uh, being thrown into hell. All who are just killed at the second coming, and all who are in because they didn't follow Jesus. When Jesus comes, he's going to wipe them out. All who are killed at the second coming, and all who are in in temporary hell, Hades, will be thrown into the permanent hell. <clears throat> the great white throne judgment is for all who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. There's going to be global warming, all right. <laughs> and, and all on the globe who reject Jesus are going to experience eternal global warming, right? But you don't have to fear hell. You don't have to fear the second death. God has provided a way out. He's provided that way out in Jesus Christ. His own son came and took God's wrath on himself on a cross, died on our place, took our punishment, took it all on us, and we can be released from this fear of death, the second death. We can be released of the fear of the first death because it won't hurt us either. Uh, we can be released <clears throat> from <clears throat> fear of judgment. We can be released of all of our sin and everything we've done. We can be forgiven. It can be wiped clean. We can be given a brand new life here on earth the moment you put your faith in Jesus and it goes out through all eternity with God in heaven. You can have that if you will just turn away from the sin, from your sin, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The moment we turn away from our sin and believe in Jesus, doesn't mean just in our head. It's a heart faith. It's a complete trust in. It's a complete depending on. It's a complete giving our life to Jesus. The moment we do the biblical believing, the biblical faith, it means to completely give our life to Jesus. The moment we do that, we don't have to fear anymore. We are now a child of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have Jesus as our protector and he will take us through this life and all the way into eternity someday. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you escaped the judgment to come upon this planet and upon everybody who has turned their back on Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you done that? And as Christians, the encouragement here, we've done that, but, but we don't have to fear the first death either. It's, yeah, it could hurt. Novocaine shot could hurt. It, we know worldwide persecution is coming, but, and I believe it's already started all over the world, and it's coming very close here. It could explode any time, even within the next few weeks, if you know what I mean. Either way, no matter who gets elected president, it could still explode. Persecution can explode. The, the match is, is set. It could happen any time. Are we keeping our eyes 
open? Are we being prepared for that? The second coming? Are we being ready for, for what, what is going to happen with persecution? Are we keeping our eyes focused on the crown that will last? Not the temporary garbage and, and the worthless stuff. Are we keeping our eyes focused on the crown that will last? Philippians 3 talks about this very thing. And Philippians 3, oh, I didn't mark it. Philippians 3, verse 8. And then 13 and 14. Listen to what it says here. In verse 8, it says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Verse 13. Brothers, uh, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the price which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Is that our focus? Is that our focus? Jesus and the goal before us and everything else is garbage. Is that our focus? I remember as a kid, sports, got lots of trophies. I threw them all away. I threw them all away. I got diplomas. I got all kinds of, I got four diplomas. Uh, I don't even know where they are. I couldn't even find them if you helped me. I couldn't even find them. First car. Oh, I love my first car. It's, where is it? It's in the junk pile if it's even there anymore. It's gone. It's in the junkyard. That is a picture of everything apart from what we do for Jesus Christ. Everything. Do we have that focus? How is God refining us? Maybe we need to be refined. We need to be prepared. What trial is he using to get our eyes on eternity? The crown that will last. As you see all that's going on in our country and the persecutions that are coming, don't be like, oh, this is so bad. Why is that? No. God is preparing us. He's refining us. He's separating the wheat from the weeds, the sheep from the goats. He's getting us ready. He's, he's, he's going to give us an amazing grace to go through, this grace that we can't even picture, a spiritual spiritual level that we can't even picture. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs, I, I don't know if you get that, or Church of the Open Door, uh, uh, Open Door Ministries, I don't know if you get those, those, but read them. It's amazing. I was reading about what happened in Nigeria a couple years back. A Muslim mob went on a rampage against Christians, killing and burning churches. They killed 300 laymen and a couple pastors. Before killing the, the uh, elderly pastor, the Muslims gouged out his eyes and cut through his mouth to the chin. They also cut the mouth of the, another pastor. This was their punishment for using their mouth in the service of preaching Jesus Christ. The fanatics also severed another pastor's right hand. When it fell to the ground, he raised the other hand up and started to sing, He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. With one hand cut off, he's raised the other one praising God. Only God's grace can do that. And it's coming. The Bible says it's coming to the whole world. You'll be hated by all nations because of me, Jesus says. Are we ready for it? Let's pray. As Christians, are we ready for this? Are we getting the word into our minds and into our hearts? Are we growing our spiritual muscles? Are we learning to think biblically? Are we learning to think like a Christian and live like a Christian? Are we fighting the spiritual battles that we're facing, the temptation battles that we're facing? Are we fighting those battles, preparing for much bigger battles? 
Are we learning to live by grace? Do we understand that his grace is sufficient, whether whatever we're facing in life, whether it's a trial now or persecution in the future, are we learning to live by grace? Maybe, while we're ending with this prayer, maybe you're not ready because you've never put your faith in Jesus. You don't, you've never given your life to Jesus. You are still under Satan's power. You are still facing an eternity in hell for temporary garbage, for lies, for delusions. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Speaking to your heart. Convicting you. And this can be the day that you break free of your blindness. This can be the day that you break free of the lies, of Satan's control, of the emptiness. The thief comes only to kill Steal and destroy, but Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the day you can have full life by putting your faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Are you ready to believe in Jesus? Give your life to Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus to turn away from the sin and the garbage. Repent of everything in your life that goes against what God wants. You can do that now. God, please forgive me. I repent of all sin. I repent. Forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. His death and resurrection for me. I put my faith in Him. I put my trust in Him. I give my life to Jesus. Father, I pray that each person who hears this, whenever they hear it, they would know for sure that they're going to spend eternity with you through your son Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. I hope that you know for sure you put your faith in Jesus. And if you have taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to tell someone, let someone know, family member, friend, another Christian that you know, let someone know, finding yourself a good Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. If you need help getting connected or, or someone to tell your great news to, email me, Chuck Wilson. I'm at nhcc at comcast.net. Okay, so we'll be moving forward in Revelation next time. <laughs>